Yesho. Chalai. Kuka. Apato. Agranada. Cole and home. Some years ago, the Oxford Junior English Dictionary added several new words to its latest edition. Words that were now very familiar to children in our new computerised world, like blog, chat room and gaming. But as the new words arrived, other words that were no longer so widely used were removed. Words like acorn, bluebell, kingfisher, mistletoe, buttercup and sycamore. Writer Robert McFarlane called them the lost words, a world of imagination and play disappearing from our children's minds. Today's podcast is about an artistic project that has the narrative power of words at its heart. The project was commissioned for COP26 and is called Living Language Land. It shares words and stories from endangered languages that reflect that people's relationship to land and nature. Philippa Bailey, the co-creator of the project, came on the show to tell us about it. Before we talk about the project, um, Philippa, can you just tell us a little bit about you, please? Yeah, gladly. Um, so I guess I'm a, I'm a scientist by training. I started off um, studying neuroscience and then moved more into sort of how science gets out of the lab and gets used by people in different places um, and got involved in then managing research and managing researchers at the University of Bristol. I was the manager of the Cabot Institute there for the environment for about five years and also very involved in Bristol Green Capital Partnership and probably uh, many of the people that you've had as guests on your show. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I've also always had this kind of creative streak. So um, about 10 years ago, my mum passed away from a terminal illness and I I did a project about death and dying and, and opened an exhibition for people to talk about their creative responses to bereavement and loss. And that sort of flowed alongside my interest in the environment, really. And kind of how we need, I think we derive a lot of um, benefit from thinking about life in a sort of circular way and in that sense a little bit more um, along the lines of some indigenous thinking of that death and life go together and that's part of, you know, what sustains us and and a sort of different way that we can live with the natural world. So, yeah. wasn't the exhibition at the Royal Academy, was it? It wasn't, uh, there was an exhibition the, on no that it was death. it was a small there, there right. was one yeah there was one on death at um, at the city museum at Bristol right, City that's Museum where it was, sorry. Yeah. Um, that was all I don't know if people remember but it was very lush it was it was all purple colored with this with this um, skeleton head moth was the sort of symbol I think that they used for it and I did a much smaller it was homegrown it was at the island in Bristol um, in the sort of exhibition space that they have there. And it was six weeks of holding a space where anybody who had anything that they wanted to bring Mm. that they'd created in response to a bereavement or a loss Mm. or in some cases work that people had created towards the end of their lives, um, you know, which was my mum as well. So Mm. brought some of her work into the into the gallery. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Um, Yeah, actually, after my mother died about 13 years ago now, um, I had an 
irresistible urge to write poetry which I mm. never had before yeah. and actually haven't had since <laughs> it was really strange and I wrote four poems mm. about her illness mm. um, it was just weird yeah. came and went, yeah. I couldn't say it any other way Yeah, it's beautiful though yeah. and I think that's a, a really common experience for people that they they suddenly find themselves in a different realm and mm. almost different words and, and feelings come to them and they need to mm. be expressed somehow so mm. yeah which leads us <laughs> nicely on to, right, this project, Living Language Land. Mm. Please just, yeah, t- just tell us what it is first. Is it, yeah. yeah, so it, it, Living Language Land is a, is a journey through minority and endangered languages from around the world, exploring how the, in, how, in those languages how people talk about their relationship to land and nature. And it was a project that I co-created with artist Neville Gaby, who comes from Stroud, And um, we were commissioned by the British Council to do this for COP26 for their climate talks in Glasgow as part of their sort of cultural program. Um, So at the time, if you cast your minds back, (laughs) it was sort of COVID time and we had to do the project entirely digitally. So what we did was we reached out around the world to different communities, different language speaking communities, and asked them to offer us a word from their language and then to tell that story about the word and Mm. why it was important and meaningful. How did you do that? How did you know where to start? Well, um, Well, not how did you know where to start? Where did you start? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question. I can't quite remember what the first um, what the first move was that we made, but that you know the world is so full of intriguing webs of people mm. and connections, and so it was really a question of just starting to tug in one place, and then that led to another and another and another. Mm. So um, I mean, maybe if I just take a step back and tell a little bit of the story of how the project came to be, um, my collaborator Neville. Um, who's who's worked in in many different environments around the world. He did a project um, for the National Trust, actually, that involved um, people of the east coast of the United States, the Wampanoag people, and they were some of the first people to be contacted by the Europeans um, who who went over by the Pilgrim Fathers. But what started as a sort of friendly <laughs> relationship, um, you know, became um, a very uh, dominating and, and genocidal relationships, so to the point where the Wampanoag people were were sold into slavery, and um, and their language was completely eliminated. And and then about thirty years ago, a woman called Jessie Little Doe Baird, um, she um, wanted to start to bring the language alive again. And, and Neville was working with her um, and her community around a Bible that had been translated actually into Wampanoag, and so it's it's one of the most wow. complete records of um, of their language. And from that, they were able to almost um, rebuild the language. So the, the project is called the Wampanoag Language Reclamation Project. And, and Jessie said something um, in finding the language. She said, in our language, they left all the lessons for us of how to live on their land. And it just brought mm. alive this connection between language and land because the language evolved from a place and from the relationship to the place. And so when the language came back, then it all made sense. Mm. Rather than thinking in English about this environment that they lived in, they could think in Wampanoag about the environment and the and the ways of being in that place. So, yeah, there was one way in through through Jessie and the, and the, the Wampanoag language um, and another route... Um, Neville had worked also in Western Australia, 
with an um, indigenous Noongar woman called um, Kathy Yaron and spent um, a long time talking to her about, again, about how the language talked about how to be in their place. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that in the Noongar language, um, I think Bujar is the, is the land and Bujari is to be pregnant. So to be pregnant is to like be with the land. And, and it's, you know, things like that are, are just deeply encoded in the language. Mm -hmm. And then, and Kathy, um, Kathy Yaron was worried that many of the young generation were not growing up to speak Nunga and that all of that knowledge would then be lost. So those were yeah, some of the threads fantastic. that we started to tug yeah. on. <laughs> I love that, that tugging. Yes. We, it led to other people. Yeah. And, yeah. Wonderful. Mm. Well, why don't, should we choose a word? I was thinking, could we perhaps start with a word from, well, actually, where is it? Is, is it Northumberland? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, how do you pronounce it? Would you like to talk about this word? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all the, you know, the. I do have the. the actually, I've got the. You've got the audio. I've got the audio. Shall I just play the word? Sure, because it's actually a word that is um, pronounced a little bit differently in different parts of the of the uh, northeast coast. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here is the word. Kalbal. 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 Oh gosh, yes, that's quite different, isn't it? In each case, I'm going to play it again. Kalbal. Kerbal. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So Kerbal or... Um, Corbal. Corbal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's a, a keelless boat built by hand and with the eye um, that was used as a fishing boat off, off the coast there. And um, the word was shared with us by a woman called Katrina Porteous, who's a, a poet and writer, but also who's lived very much in those fishing communities for, for more than 30 years. Um, and, and what she talks about with a kerbal is the idea that it, it took the whole community to build the kerbal, to launch it, to work with the sea. And, and she also talks in some of her other work about the deep knowledge of the sea and the fact that the fishermen... Um, know the land under the sea as well as they know the mm. the land above the sea, mm. you know, and that it's as important to know that landscape, to know where the fishing grounds are before they had any kind of, you know, sonar mapping or mm. all of that sort of data. So mm. um, the Kerbal also is about um, the precariousness, really, of going out into these very dangerous um, environments into the sea and, and also the work involved in that because, you know, women were there um, baiting the lines with like a thousand pieces of bait every day. And it was just, a, it was brutally, brutally mm. hard work mm. as well. Mm. So I do yeah. have, I did, because on your fantastic website, each, and I, I notice you rotate the words, different words mm. uh, at the top, yeah, which is fantastic. It moves each time, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and each word has, well, some in some cases, the, the pronunciation, but then films or just lots of different elements. And Katrina Porteous is there reciting, is it a, is it a poem she's written? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a poem called The Marks to Gambai. Yeah. And it's just beautiful, so I'm going to play it. The Marks to Gambai. I asked Charlie what a fisherman must know. All bloody things, he answered me. How so? A fisherman had to have brains in now one time. His fingers twisted round the slippery twine in the stove's faint firelight. It was getting dark. Them days, he said, 
you had to go by marks. Stuck at the Ferenhus, Hebron beetling trees. Thus he began the ancient litany of names, half vanished, beautiful to hear. Gan ruined the point, keep Bamborough Castle clear the black rock mind. Off Newton, steer until you've staggered level the nick of the broad mill. Novice, I listened. In the gloom I saw the rolled up sail by the long and open door. A traveller stiff with rust, a woodworm's mast, all the accumulation of the distant past. Now keep the church on Alexandra Hoos and yon's the road. Oh, Charlie, what's the use, I said. These memories, I know they're true and certainly they're beautiful. But how can you compete with all the science of these modern days? The echo sound has finished your outdated ways. Efficiency, that's what they want, not law. Why should the past concern us any more? I couldn't see his face. The stove had died. There's Nian Crabs new, said Charlie sadly, and he sighed, and seeming not to hear me, sealed the knot. When you see Lippus coming, when to stop and when to gan, that's what you need to know. The sea's the boss. My father told me so. Them marks, he said. He handed ah them doon like right and wrong. Them boogers for the tunes. He sliced the twine he sewed with savagely. The divanah what's right. They gan to see their only minds for profit. They'll know Geenin thought to who their sons'll hit to live. I saw them. So, I said, as we embark, the past is map and measure, certain mark to steer by in the cold, uncertain sea. We leave it like the land. But all we know, what to hang on to and when to let go, leads from it. Aye, said Charlie. Sick and so. That's the Marks to Gambai by Katrina Porteous. It's beautiful. Mm. And it reminded me, actually, because I've been to the Ciliars quite a few times and have stayed with somebody who has a boat and they have a map which shows you the because you have mm. to know where the shallower yeah. Yeah. bits of water are for yeah. the boats so Absolutely. yeah no mm. sort of yeah it's um fantastic right let's let's have another word sure yeah please. and maybe we what? should just mention that the website is um living-language-land.org if people want to go there there are 26 words that we yeah. shared in the first phase of the project yeah yeah i wanted to share a word um which was which was shared with us um by a tribal leader from the philippines from the higaonon people and the word is gagao and he talks about how gagao is is love is the universal principle and it's how they operate in the world so um I, i'll just read some of his words um datu lanelio sankaran it's the love of the creator, the one who made all peoples. It's the universal principle of how the tribes work, and it's how the wisdom of the ancestors moves to the current generation. We believe that the past is the foundation of tomorrow. The ancient cultures are our, gui are our guidance. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's not to say that 
the life they live in the forest is easy or simple. It's very, very challenging, um, particularly where he is both affected by natural hazards and disasters, typhoons, and but also just the the, the poverty of, of his people and, and the immense pressure for people to sell their land uh, for logging um, in order to to you know bring income in but then also to lose that connection to the land and to their ancestral home so mm. um mm. keeping the principle of gagao alive is very important uh, for him this has just made me think of it's did you come across problems of precisely trying to translate the meanings Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. Because that's part of what it's all about, isn't it? These words are unique, aren't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. And they're not, it's not just the translation of the words, but if I can just give an example, one of the contributors um, to the project is uh, from the Lakota people of North America, um, Teokasin Ghost Horse. And he told us that in the Lakota language, in the old Lakota language, it's really just a language of verbs. They don't nounify things, they don't have objects. Everything is seen as being energy in motion. Wow. So their whole language is structured around that and that's what you need to communicate you don't communicate the thing does this thing and also in his language he talked about the fact that there's no word for domination so there's no way of creating a hierarchy of those energies all energies treeing sunning (laughs) rivering uh, misting those are humaning dogging catting mousing ferning they're all going alongside each other so um, yeah, it's it's a completely different way of thinking. So he found, you know, as he was trying to share a word with us, he would often say, I'm having to use so many English words yeah. just to get this simple concept across, yeah. you know. And, and the, for him, in the, the English language felt like putting up barriers in the mind. How interesting. Um, yeah. God, how frustrating. I mean, I remember living in France for a year and the French didn't have, don't use a particular tense they don't have, what is it, past continuous. Mm. I have been going to the library every day for the last 10 years. You can't say that in French right. in that way. Yeah. You just can't do it. And yeah. I, just, it, I used to find it frustrating because it's nuanced, isn't it? And you yes. can't, so he must find it really frustrating. Yeah, very frustrating, definitely. And, and there aren't many old Lakota speakers, so it's also um, yeah, difficult to find your language mm. community. And I remember reading about languages which are geophysical mm. and so have no word for right or left. Mm. So everything is described, a person's position is always described relative to mm. whoever they're with or whatever they're beside or and it will change, of course, if they turn round. So they've then got to turn everything round. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think also sometimes in reference to important landmarks. So I, I remember in Bali, for example, everything is done in, uh, relative to the mountain in the middle of the Mount Agung in the middle of the island. So everything is either towards a mountain or away from the mountain. But depending where you are, that yeah. could be any any yeah. direction. So, yeah, Cartesian coordinates is not is not a, a natural um, yeah, phenomenon yeah. within a language for sure. Fascinating. Right. OK. And now let's let's move on. Yeah. To the so next one, one, which one. I find difficult to say. <laughs> yeah. So this word is um, from the Mapuche, the Lafkenche Mapuche people of southern Chile, um, who shared a word with us from the Mapuche language. The word is itrofilmongen, and um, it's the expression of all of the beings, both. Um, spirit beings and physical beings but also the history the stories the rocks the mountains of a place so part of 
where they see their work is to cultivate, to support the Itrofilmongen of a place. And every place will have a different Itrofilmongen. So it's a little bit like um, the way I, I understood it is a little bit like bio, biodiversity or something mm. that we might talk about, trying to encompass the, the richness of, of the ecosystem. But it also includes the whole spirit world. So your ancestors can be part of the Utrafilmongen. And that sort of working for the whole, working to support the whole, all of life, is a very important part of their, of their culture. That's beautiful. Mm. Have, you, have you found that it has affected your worldview? Do you look at things differently now? Now, do you see them through these lenses? Yeah, totally. I do. I do think about it differently. And um, I mean, I was fortunate to do this project during lockdown. And, um, you know, it was just such an emotionally sustaining um, piece of, of work to do, really. And I feel like we all need um, ways to be soft with all of the difficulty that we face. You know, it's the, the situation is so dire and sometimes so depressing but also we have to find ways to, yeah, to, to, to be soft and to sustain ourselves. And mm. I found this to be an enormously mm. life-giving project to, to be involved with, yeah. Which makes me think, you very kindly said that um, people could contact yeah. the website yeah. you, if they want, because you've give, given me a set of really beautiful cards yeah. with photographs and the words on them and then the description of the word and the source um with a what do you call those things the you no oh, the a qr code qr yeah. code yeah Thank to lead you, you back to, to the lead, website yes yeah. um so can people if they're listening and think i'd love to read more about these can they get absolutely hold of these? yeah so i mean the full the 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 full stories are on the website, but if you've got a venue or you would personally love to use these cards in your own work, I mean, we've got people um, taking them into into schools, into classrooms, using them with students, um, using them for their own creative practice. So there are 26 cards, and I would gladly send you a set of them if you just get in contact via the website. Um, again, that's living-language-atland.org. Fantastic. Um, now, it was for COP. Mm. But it's still all up there, which is wonderful. So we still have access to it. Is it going to continue? Are you going to keep accumulating words, or where does it go from here? Yeah, we're we're anxious that it doesn't turn into a sort of like collection project. You know, in the yeah, sense okay. of it could become like a sort of Victorian collector's like, oh, look at this one. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, so we really wanted people to come forward. You know, as as they felt moved. Um, uh, to share a word with the project and that's that's still a possibility um we're always we're looking for funding to to continue the project but we're really also keen just to see what is already there be be used by mm. people and that was very much the intention of those who shared words with the project is they wanted to share insights from their language and to see that language travel um around the world and be and connect with people um so yeah mm. that's our mm. that's our aspiration really. have you been in touch at all with writers rebel from no. Extinction Rebellion. It's the arm of Extinction Rebellion, <laughs> the writers mm. uh, who aren't necessarily in Extinction Rebellion either, but they are writing about... Actually, it, it it's just reminds me of some of what these words are talking about. Yeah, I just think it might be quite... I was thinking about 
tagging them actually and I thought you might you'll probably find this interesting great in fact I will for the podcast because <laughs> I think they will find it in, if, if they don't know of it already which I'm sure they probably do yeah no um, I'd be yeah very happy to get in touch with different groups we've mm. been working with a group called Thoughtbox Education as well based in based in Totnes but they're a global organization who who do environmental education and things in school and we have talked to some writers and artists a, a woman in Canada loved the project so much she made um, a piece of embroidery for every word in the project and so we're trying to find a way to work with her to exhibit that somewhere yeah. as well yeah, yeah how beautiful well I'm sure I'm sure as because they are very inspiring um and I particularly love this Itrofilmongen, mm. yeah. which sounds Scandinavian to me. It's weird. <laughs> I thought it was sort of Swedish or Norwegian when I first mm. saw it. Yeah, no, that's um, good. Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. We were just talking off air and I was saying, I don't think I'm going to have time to talk about the book, The Arts Project. And then I just mentioned it to Philippa and she said, well, that was part of the inspiration for the project. So we're going to mention it very, I think, could you maybe tell our listeners then, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Perhaps you could just tell us just a little bit about the book if people don't know of it. Yeah, so I I mean, this was one of the, the... the writings that inspired me to do this project and Robin is um, both an ecologist and she's a Native American woman from the citizen Potawatomi tribe and um, and in the book she weaves her indigenous understanding together with her scientific knowledge and it's it's just such a beautiful um, exposition of of belonging really it's about a kind of a duet a back and forth between us and the bigger nature, all the, the the more than human around us. And she talks about kinship. Um, she also talks about the power of language. So some of what I was saying about the world in verbs, she talks about a grammar of animacy, she calls it. And she talks about a word for in her language, um, for the eruption of a, mush, of a mushroom, it's the word pupoi, and it's, it's like it comes just boom, out, of the, out of the soil. We don't really have a word, you know, we certainly don't have a word specifically for mushrooms. Um, and so, again, it's sort of getting into the detail of the language, which really sort of you can almost feel the earth between mm. your, your fingertips. Um, she's such a beautiful writer, and, again, it, w- it was, for me, this kind of reassuring... Um, way of being with the world and Teokas and Ghost Horse talked about developing um, confidence with the earth and it's it's sort of in that spirit that she writes as well. Lovely well I bought myself a copy last week and um, I'm just about to dip in so thank you very much for that so braiding sweetgrass lovely um philippa thank you very very much for coming on and telling us all about this (laughs) thank you penny it's been such a pleasure What you can hear now is one of the words in the project. It's called No Word, and it is the sound of the Brunt Ice Shelf in Antarctica.